You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for His glory. Thank you. Uh, do take your seats. Uh, Mark, Michelle, Danny, thank you so much. Musicians, great job. And uh, yeah, why don't we give them a big hand, serving us so well, week in, week out, and uh, it's just my absolute joy to uh, be able to open the Word here today. Huge welcome to you here in the room at this first service. This is the first time I'm going to be preaching in this building twice for 14 months uh, in the morning, and it's just great, some new things uh, beginning to spring up, uh, in-person children's work in our next service, and uh, an in-person connect point. We've got a team's lounge to look after our servers up and running today, and it just feels like things are beginning to move towards uh, something a little bit more normal. For those of you that are online, so great that you are connected here. We feel that connection with you. That's why you often see Esther and myself posting in the chat. want to stay connected in both places Wonderful. Also, I want to say a huge thank you to those of you that have signed up for our Building Together uh, sessions, one tonight and one next week. Those of you that are in tonight, we will see you at 7.30 later. And uh, so grateful to those of you that are just checking in on that and involved in the conversation about how we fully open up. Well, I'm super excited today to be introducing a five-week series that we are hoping will take us not only through the month of June, but out of lockdown into uh, a different space. We will see the media is full of speculation, but in any case, we are excited to be here. The title of this series is Beauty for Ashes, Beauty for Ashes, and this is my title for today. I don't know about you, but if I think about my life, I find it utterly remarkable. I find it kind of baffling that the God who created the heavens and the earth would take such a person full of, full of sin and full of selfishness, full of dark motives and dark thoughts, trying to be whole but really quite broken, and would look upon that life as if it was the richest of treasures and would lift it out of the dust and the dirt and would choose to call what is, in essence, worthless, priceless, and would see the potential in it when nobody else would, and would go to work on it and in it, shaping it and making it and pouring himself personally into such a project to create something beautiful and something useful out of the rubbish of a life. What an incredible, I find it remarkable, but this is the God that we serve. This is what he does. And if you've got a Bible, why don't you come with me? Many of you all know where we're headed to Isaiah chapter 61. We already heard in our service as uh, we are praying over our whole city, street by street and crescent and close and cul-de-sac uh, together. We are praying these verses this year, Isaiah 61. One of the most Incredible uh, writers in the Old Testament. One of the four major prophets, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, considered typically uh, with Isaiah among the four uh, major prophets. His immediate context is he is prophesying into the nation of Israel with words of judgment, but also words of hope 
But within the book of Isaiah, time and again, he comes to the servant of the Lord. He comes to the anointed one, the holy one of God. There is this idea that Isaiah brings to us that Israel took hold of and then the world took hold of that there was one that was to come. There was one that was to come that was going to be greater than any other, that was going to be different, that came to be understood to be the Messiah, the Christ. When Peter says, I believe you are the Christ, the Holy One of God, he's saying, this one that Isaiah spoke about, I think you are the one. And in Isaiah chapter 61, as we get it, the servant yet to come is speaking. And this is what the servant says with these prophetic words. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of jubilee or the year of the Lord's favor, the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of heaviness or a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord, and a display of His Splendor, or for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. We're going to leave that there. Through the centuries, the Lord is watching over his word, knowing that it is going to come to pass. And then in the, humbling of, the humblest of settings in Bethlehem, Jesus is born and he grows and matures and becomes obedient to his parents. At the age of 30, he's led by the Spirit of God into the wilderness where he fasts for 40 days and he is tempted by the devil, but he resists and overcomes. And Luke chapter 4, the New Testament, picks up the story. Verse 14, it says this, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. This is his hometown. And on the Sabbath day, he went to the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written what we've just heard. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him and he began by saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Can you imagine that moment? Can you imagine being in the synagogue? When I was 14 years of age, uh, I was a Nottingham Forest fan, and I used to go to all the home games, and I was in what then was the Trent End. It was terrace. There were, there were, we were all stood, jam-packed in. It was New Year's Day, and Nottingham Forest were playing Newcastle United. We turned up to the game, and nobody had heard of a player who was 18 years of age who was just uh, played just a handful of first-team games when we arrived at the stadium. 
Nottingham Forest will probably have been expected to win that home fixture, but on that day, they lost 2-1. There were 21 players on the pitch which were of a certain standard, and there was one player, 18 years of age, who was a of a completely different standard and ran the game and completely annihilated my team. His name was Paul Gascoigne. Uh, people will probably heard of Paul Gascoigne or Gaza, and a few years later, he almost helped uh, England to win the World Cup in 1990. But in 1984 or five, whenever it was, he was, uh, he was 18 years of age. He was of a different caliber. And we all went home that day knowing we had seen something special and seen someone special. Here in the synagogue in Nazareth, something profound has happened. I, I, I have this idea that in heaven, the thousands upon ten thousands of angels, the cherubim and cherubim, are there, and heaven falls silent. And on a giant screen, I have this idea that the synagogue in Nazareth is playing, and that you could hear a pin drop, and everybody is leaning in, and down on the ground, in the earth, something is felt as Jesus unrolls the scroll and gets to these profound words of Isaiah 61, and they know they are witnessing something of which they are not worthy. As Jesus says today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This Jesus, he comes, he says, it's come to pass. I am the one, it is at hand. And over these next few weeks, we are going to open up the lid of this treasure chest of Isaiah 61 that is fulfilled in Jesus. And we are going to take out one or two of the jewels and we're going to look at them. And if we are willing, we are going to put them on and allow them to change us and do something to us. Beauty for Ashes wasn't Isaiah's gospel. It was Jesus' gospel. And it still is. He comes to do what he does. And we will find in him all we need in this Gospel. This is the answer for our world around us, for our city and for our nation. It is the answer for our lives. Jesus is the answer. Today, as I just turn us to these scriptures and really tee up the next few weeks, I want to draw out four thoughts. And the first is this. The anointing is life-changing. The anointing is life-changing. This passage begins, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because he has anointed me. Now, we understand, don't we, that God is one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that there is no hierarchy within the Godhead. They're of the same substance, equally divine, equally eternal, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And yet, when Jesus came into the world, God the Son, uh, although fully God, lays aside some of his divine qualities and functions as a man in the power of the Holy Spirit. And he says here, the Spirit is upon me because he has anointed me. Can we all say anointed? An anointing was a rubbing, a smearing, or an outpouring of oil. Nothing magic in the oil itself, but symbolic of something God was doing. A touch from God. In 1 Samuel 16, where, where Samuel the prophet fills his horn with oil, he pours it out on the young David's head in the house of Jesse. And what is happening there is God is putting his hand on this young man's life. The oil's poured out, but something more, there is an anointing, literally with oil, but from the Spirit that says, this one is chosen and set apart to rule the nation, to govern, to become king. And God's hand was upon him. The anointing upon someone is a divine grace 
that is deposited and enables that person to function with the touch of God in an area. There might be an anointing on somebody to minister a song. Sometimes our, our worship leaders, there can be anointing. We thank God for incredible, incredible team that ministers so well and so faithfully. And sometimes there seems to be something extra, something different, an anointing that is from God. And, and what sometimes happens is that that touch of God that is upon a moment where those of us that have been around the things of the Spirit, we would say that was anointed. But what normally happens is people who aren't familiar with church, they come in and they say, I don't know what happened, but when that lady began to sing that song, I began to cry. Or things like that, because there was an anointing. There was something of God upon it. The Bible says that Bezalel in the Old Testament was filled with the Spirit. He was anointed as a craftsman. And he created out of, of bronze and gold and silver and stone articles for the tabernacle. That it wasn't just his experience and his skill. There was a touch of God upon his life to serve in that way. And I wonder if the things he created as people came into the tabernacle, they saw them and they encountered the presence of God. Why? Because there was an anointing upon him. It was more than the human. It was the human and the divine come together. This is what the anointing does. In, our, in the United Kingdom and the Commonwealth, the, uh, the coronation of a monarch includes an anointing. In 1953, for the first time, when our queen, Queen Elizabeth, was, uh, was made queen, uh, the, during the coronation service, it was televised for the first time, but there was a moment when the cameras stopped rolling, and it was the moment where she was anointed. It was understood to be too sacred to broadcast on TV. And at that moment, the cloak and the jewels that she had been wearing and was wearing subsequently were taken off, and she just wore a white dress, and oil was poured upon her. And the Archbishop of Canterbury prayed for her that God would anoint her to govern. Would anoint the, what was happening there is saying, we believe God has earmarked you that more than just a young lady learning to serve, that the touch of God would be upon your life to outwork this appointment. This is what the anointing does. But here's what I want us to understand today, is that anointings, they do things. They might minister a song. They, they might be there to help us in our work, like Bezalel. They might be there to, to rule and to lead. And of course, Jesus is the leader, and he is the ruler. But he says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me, because he's anointed me, to release He's anointed me to, to bind up. He's anointed me to pour out oil on those that are mourning. He's anointed me to change lives. Essentially, if you read through these verses, his anointing is a life-changing anointing, which is to say that if we encounter Jesus, our lives will be changed because that's the anointing that he carries. It's not an anointing to just simply rule in heaven. It is to change and transform. And it would be my suggestion to us that if we have not been changed by Jesus, we have not yet truly encountered Jesus. We may know him. We may feel we know him. We may have prayed a prayer to follow him. But if our lives have not been changed, even in some small way, I'm not sure we have yet encountered him, because if we encounter him, the anointing that is upon him that he carries is a life-changing anointing. 
And partly we come to this series because I think it's probably true that none of us in the last 14 months have been untouched by this pandemic. It has taken a toll in different ways upon many of us. And where do we turn? We turn to the one who has an anointing to heal, to bind up, to restore, to strengthen, to renew, that when we come to him, he will changes. Secondly, I want us to notice that the gospel is far-reaching. What I mean by this is not that the gospel goes to the ends of the earth, which it does, but that the gospel is full. It is rich. It is expansive. It is dramatic. It is like a well-cut diamond, multifaceted. When I was growing up, there was a, a famous advertising slogan for a beer called Heineken, which said, Heineken refreshes the parts that other beers can't reach. Who remembers that? If you were around in my era, you would know it because it was on all the time. Complete rubbish. It didn't make any, the, the beer was not a, diff, it was not a magic beer. It, did, it was just a slogan. But Jesus, he does come and he does reach places in us that no one else can reach. And I want us to understand this here today, that if we open up our Bibles to Isaiah 61, and if we understand that Jesus embodied these things, we understand that he came, and hear me right here, to do more than save us from our sins. Now, I, there is nothing greater than salvation. There is nothing more magnificent than Jesus saving us from our sins, that he would go to the cross and carry our sin and our shame and remove them as far as the east is from the west and pour out forgiveness to those who will receive the message and make a way for heaven. What is more glorious? And as someone put in the chat earlier, salvation is found in no one else. Jesus came to save. When the angel came to Joseph, he said, you will call him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. But we take nothing away from the matchless message of the cross to see that Jesus comes to do more besides when I was young, I could go to Tesco for my groceries and I could get a, a trolley and I could put in cereal and, and, and fruit and toilet rolls and I could check out. It was a superstore. But now I can bank with Tesco. I can get my mobile phone with Tesco. I can take out insurance with Tesco. I can probably get a Tesco haircut. If I had a dog, I could probably get a Tesco dog shampoo. I don't know. Tesco would do everything now. It's a crass analogy. Jesus comes to help us in every way. He comes to bind us up when our hearts break. He comes to free us when we get stuck in bondage and habit patterns. He comes to bring light into our darkness. He comes to comfort us in our mourning, to lift off our pain, to carry off our disgrace, to remove our heaviness, to rebuild our broken lives, to repair our broken walls and to deal with our rubbish. He comes to do these things. And I'm not discounting professional help or counseling or medicine or books or courses, but he is the one who has an anointing to meet us at our point of need and to pour something in that we need in those moments. When we moved to Coventry nine years ago, for 20 years I had poured my life into a church and a ministry and a people. I had prayed through the night. I had given myself to a work. And besides that, we had friendships that were, that were 20 years in the making. And your roots go deep. People we'd laughed with and prayed with and eaten with. We'd had our kids at the same time with and we'd grown up. And the Lord pulled us out of that. 
And I can remember when we left, there were people wept, and I was pastoring them because we were leaving, and then we landed here to a people that needed pastoring, and we hit the ground running. I remember about seven months later, it was about Christmas, and I, and I found there was a pain in my heart, and the Lord started to speak to me that I needed to grieve, and I didn't understand at first what he was saying, but as I drew near, he did something in my heart, and I can remember in one of those beautiful ways that the Lord does, I, as this came to a, a moment of understanding in me, Esther and the children were, were away seeing some family. I remember going home to my living room, I got down on my knees, and I, and I poured my heart out to the Lord. Of all the things that we'd left, gladly we'd come to follow the call of God. If we were called away from here now, the same thing would happen. But I needed to grieve. And I poured out my heart and I wept. And in a, an hour or two before the Lord, the Lord healed my heart. Because I came to the one who binds up the brokenhearted. Who pours out oil on those who mourn. Who brings comfort. Come to the one. I was already saved and I stayed saved. But he comes to meet us in other ways. The band need to come and join me. Because I'm running out of time and we need to move quickly. I thirdly want to say the exchange is divine. I really wanted to say the exchange is ridiculous. Because it doesn't make sense. Again, as a kid, there was a program that some of you who are as old as me remember called Swap Shop. And, and, and kids would come and they would engage. Uh, they, they would kind of phone in and they'd say, I want to I wanna offer a scale electric. And someone would say, well, I, I want the scale electric for a dartboard. And these kids would kind of, they'd match kids up and they'd swap. A swap for a swap. Something that was reasonable. My, my football uh, for your Superman. And it was kind of a fair swap. I want to tell you, when we come to Jesus, it's not a fair swap. It's all in our favor. He says, why don't you come and bring me your rubbish? Bring me your ash. Bring me your pain. Bring me your grief. Bring me your brokenness. Just, and you know what? And he doesn't say, and I will take it because I'm big enough. He says, because I want to give you something for your, if you give me some ash. I've got something for you. And it's beauty. It's a, in fact, it's a crown of beauty. He says, if, if you would bring me that spirit of heaviness, I've got something for you. If you give it me, I, I've got a garment of praise that would look so good on you. I just, can we do a swap? And he, he takes from us the worst of what we have. And he not just takes it, he gives us his beauty. He gives us his life. He gives us what is glorious that comes from him. Bring me your ruins and let me rebuild them. What a savior. Church, what a savior. Come on. Listen, if we're going to do it, let's do it. What a savior that he would come and, and bring all of our filth. And he'd say, let me have it and let me give you life and beauty. Beauty for ashes. Just bring your ash and let me pour out something that I've got in mind just for you. And fourthly, as we finish, the vision is alive. Friends, these are not words confined to the Old Testament. They're not words fulfilled in Jesus in Nazareth and done. They are words that live because He lives and the anointing that was on Him is on Him. And it flows and it comes to us and it comes not only to us, but it comes through us. 
And I want to encourage you that this anointing still flows, this life-changing anointing. This week, why don't you cry out to him? If you're dry, tell him, let him come. If you're hurting, tell him, let him come. And the hope is for those around us. And in the weeks to come, we'll draw more on this. We'll allow the Lord to minister to us, to bind us up, to, to heal us. I believe as we come back in person, there will be moments of ministry where the Spirit of God pours out healing in a moment. But also, we have around us hundreds of thousands of people. And as Esther said earlier, if you're not in Coventry, where you are, hundreds of thousands of people probably who need this gospel. Jesus' gospel, who need this message. And here, as we join with Open Heaven, and we get out on the streets with other Christians from other churches, and we pray, and we pray these words. We say, God, would you come and heal? Would you come and set the captives free? Would you come and rebuild the ruins? Would you restore the places long devastated? That before we see it with our literal eye, we would pray it into being. And I want to encourage us as we finish today and the band lead us, that we would pray that this anointing would be poured out around us, that the city or the places where we live would be filled with the presence of God, the anointing of God, that this message, this gospel would flow not only to us where we need it, but to others also, and they would see the Savior, the one alone who can bring forth healing and freedom and grace and love. In the room, why don't we stand at home? Why don't you stand as Mark and the band minister and lead us? And let's make this a prayer for the places where we live.